Hello and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. I will be your host this wonderful Friday evening. My name is Delton, and with me today is my wife, my yellow player, and an all-around sleazebag, Haley. <laughs> keep in mind, keep in mind, if I leave you, I'm taking half the board game collection with me. You're just taking the bad game, so it's fine. <laughs> Bam! No, I'm going to take the ones that I don't even like just to spite you. Oh, that would be so rude. You just called me a sleaze bag. <laughs> well, you know. To our dozens of listeners. <laughs> All 24 of you. We have two dozen. One day we'll have a baker's dozen listeners, and that would be great. What is that, 130, 156? A baker's dozen's 13, honey, man. A baker's dozen's 13. Sorry, a baker's dozen of dozens. That's how I meant that in my head. Oh, okay. So 12 times 13, which I think is 156. Is that right? Because 12 times 12 is 144, so plus 12 is 156. Okay, boom. Are you are you saying a baker's dozen, baker's dozen, baker's dozen, dozen? No, no, no. a baker's dozen, dozen. Okay, yes, so thirteen we'll times twelve. Yes. <laughs> we are. Did doing... anybody else follow that? <laughs> like I, I'm sitting next to him, and I even see the hand motions. I'm still lost. I don't know if I'm getting distracted by how fast his hands are flying around his face or what's going on. Mathematical acrobatics. That's what that was. Mathrobatics. Math. <laughs> Mathrobatics. <laughs> Welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, board games, all that kind of stuff. We also drink beer on the podcast. I like beer. And I think we might need one after that, there after all a, those mathematics. There was that one time I didn't have beer during the podcast because I had the flu. There was that other time we had wine because we talked about viticulture, but otherwise we drink beer. We had wine because it was viticulture and... It was your mead. Yes, was it the 25th episode? IDK. I don't remember either. What are we drinking, Delty Poo? So the first beer it's today... Cracking into that bugger early. I haven't even got to the banter yet. I know. This is Exit 174 from Iron Monk Brewing Company. Exit 174 is the exit on I-35 to Stillwater, America, where I got my undergraduate degree. And it tricks you out because you're like, I'm going to drive from Edmund to Stillwater. Oh, snap, I made good time here in 35 minutes. I made it from Edmund to Stillwater. You take the exit 74, 174, JK, you still have a 25-minute drive on Highway 6 where there are 35 highway patrolmen every three and a half square inches. Yes, yeah, Stillwater, Oklahoma is where Haley got her undergrad at the university. Uh, wait, I'm sorry, I, I, Oklahoma I, I, State University. I'm about to say, go Pokes. Well, most of the time it's University of something, even if they swap it. So I just, I'm not used to that, but Oklahoma State University, which is the Cowboys. Cultured, classy college that is the Cowboys. It's a really, really bad town. I hate it. It's all a bunch of uh, like teenage cowboys that their mom gave them pickup trucks, and then they have cowboy boots, and they go, broom, broom, look at the truck nuts. One guy actually wore shaps to class every day. I don't even think he was actually a cowboy of any kind. Like, why in the hell are you wearing shaps? You're in the middle of Stillwater. You're walking Sh down Monroe Street. Do you mean chaps? No, shaps. What's a shap? I know it's a chap. Yeah, well, that's how you properly pronounce them as shaps. What? Did you not go to 4-H camp as a kid? Did you not go to no. Roundup? What's wrong with you, uncultured swine? Listen, all we ever had were chickens, and that was enough. That's enough farming for me and cowboy-esque Well, as cowboy the daughter of a things. rodeo clown, I guess I'm just bred with this kind of culture within. It runs through my veins. Bred like cattle? Shaps. <laughs> so the beer is nice and light. I should probably read the can like we usually do every other episode and stop it being a dummy. so ready to drink. I'm ready to get this in my belly been a long ass week 
Uh, says Oklahoma is okay. Ooh, original. Uh, oh my God, I can't read this. It's silver lettering on a yellow background, and we only have my desk lamp on. Well, you are 28 now. Would you like me to take a look at the can? <laughs> uh, you got some reading glasses so I can magnify this? Just look through your beer glass. That's not going to help me. It helps a little bit. Oh God, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm getting too old. Known for imparting a unique spicy character, the Oklahoma-grown rye grain shines in this medium-bodied, smooth, and citrusy ale. Enjoy an authentic taste of the plains from great to or sorry, from grain to glass. All right, so there's a little bit of rye in this, then, huh? Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, and the rye was in my eye. But the levy was dry. <laughs> you had to tie in rye somehow. Them good old boys were drinking risky and wine. Oh, I didn't think about the next line. Singing, this will be the day that I die. Da, I'm not seeing the office whenever the Just chair model dies. Drink the beer. Okay. <laughs> so give it a good taste. See what you think. Tell, tell the listeners. It's got a little bit of that, like, tartness that comes from beer that has wheat. It tastes like rye smells. Very sweet. It does. It does have a very sweetness about it. There's not much hop character there. A little bit. Not much. It's mostly on the back end. It makes me want to spray paint my hair orange and black again and drive down the cold, hard streets of Monroe. My Stillwater days. That sounds terrible. That was great. Terribly terrible. I've been on ESPN quite a few times. The beer has a thick mouthfeel. Like, right up front, the minute you take a drink, it doesn't really change throughout the drink. It's pretty much just, like, heavy the whole time and kind of that frothy end. This reminds me of a drink you would have in the fall. In the summertime, you want something crips and refreshing. In the wintertime... Crips. <laughs> uh, I got it. Crisp and refreshing. Go ahead. No. <laughs> uh, I need a nap. <laughs> It tastes like what Blue Moon wants to grow up to be. I could kind of see that. It doesn't have the orange and stuff, but it does have that little bit of weedy tartness. Yeah, it's that weedy tartness. It's like, take Blue Moon, make it grow up, and take out the Sunny Delight flavor. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. It is a good beer. We're actually drinking out of Iron Monk glasses now. Uh, Iron Monk makes some solid stuff, so if you can find them in Oklahoma, definitely do it. Because they're good. Moving on past that beer, because I feel like that took forever, what has been going on in our life? So, what's been going on in my life is, Delton and I have been offered jobs at meat markets. Haley's parents think it's an amazing idea to buy a meat market in two places in Oklahoma City and be a butcher shop owner? I'm really happy for them. They're really excited, but they live two hours away. and so. Dad's offered for Delton to run it, but there's two things about that. One, Delton has a job. Two, Delton's kind of a vegan now. Also, like, benefits, yo. <laughs> you know, I kind of have sick days and vacation. I know, but I think Dad's finally going to quit his job that stresses him out, and he's going to live happily ever after in his butcher shop down on 29th Street doing hood rat stuff with his friends. It'll be cool. I mean... His he, life went full circle. He likes it. He wants to do it. He was a butcher back in the day. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, he went from like dairy farmer slash rodeo clown to roughneck to butcher to cop to windshield repair guy to oil field guy to now butcher shop owner again. Just a little bit of everything? Yes, very eclectic. That, eclectic sound, that sounds right. 
So yeah, my parents are going to be now visiting more often than usual. Boo. Oh, come on. We get free P.F. Changs when mom and dad come up. Yeah, as long as we don't get P.F. Changs, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> That's the thing is that I love my parents so much. Well, every time they come up, it's like, where do you guys want to go eat? We have all of these options. And they're like, P.F. Changs and Red Lobster. I'm like, damn it. Come on, guys. They're like, Olive Garden. I'm like, we have things like Tidal Light. And we have Othello's. And we have S&B. And they're like, Chili's. That tends to be what parents just do. is like, let's go to the places that you don't want to eat anymore. Yeah, and we want to eat there now. I mean, like when I was in high school, we would make the hour and a half trips down to Altus to go eat at Applebee's because that was hot shit. But now that I've been living in Oklahoma City for the last five years, I'm like, it ain't really good. No. Like as a kid, like that was the epitome of luxury was that sizzling baby back rib song. Oh, I know. Getting ribs back in high school was like, oh, this is this is elegance. This is the quintessential fancy dining. And you're like, oh, I need to have a black suit and tie. Or like TGI Fridays. Oh, Man, yeah. Man, I would see those commercials like, oh, my God, one day I'm going to go to TGI Fridays. And I have lived up here five years, and I have never been to TGI Fridays. I went back in college with some friends. How was it? It was a mediocre experience. And then that's why I never went again. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how your perceptions change so much? Yeah, completely change over time. It's just crazy. But that'll be good. They're going to buy that shop. It'll be great. They'll be able to work at it. And we're not going to work at it. We're not going to work at it, but we'll I support mean, them. It's nice to have a backup plan. Like, yes. am, am I a vegan if I work at a butcher shop? I don't know. There's a whole bunch of, like, vegan moral questions there. We're going to put this out to the internet. Internet, let us know. Can you be vegan and work at a butcher shop? It's a good question. Go, go, really gadget, is. internet. Uh, aside from that, there's not really been a whole lot going on. Uh, my mom had a minor surgery. Everything came out just fine. That was good. Uh, surviving work. Uh, surviving work. Haley had to get a tire replaced. Got a flat tire. Woo. Still made up a 40 hours this week. Really salty because I actually had to see clients today. Typically, I... Arrange my schedule where I technically have Fridays free, but you know what? That's the way the world turns sometimes. Sometimes you got to work five days a week. Most people have to work five days a week, at least. I got a hard life. That's true. Couldn't uh, just roam around the hallways drinking coffee and bullshitting all day. I actually had to see clients. Oh, making fun of me. That's a, that's a jab at me. <laughs> it's fine. But aside from that, I don't think we've had a whole lot going on in our life, aside from actually playing some games for once. Which is good. Yeah, we played quite a few games in the last week. We went to Edmund Unplugged on Saturday. Yes. And we played Wingspan and Gizmos and Topiary. Yep. And hold on, I got this. Emerson Matsuchi. Reef. There you go. And we played Reef, which I have since bought Wingspan for Haley. Yes, because I love that game so much. There is a scissor tail flycatcher on the front of the box, which is the Oklahoma State bird. Therefore, I am obligated to love it because it's in my blood. There you go. Much like the Shaps knowledge. I hate you for calling them Shaps. Shaps. Instead of Chaps. Shaps. Chaps. <laughs> hey, that's how, <laughs> that's how everybody else knows them as Chaps. Assless Chaps. <laughs> I don't think everyone else knows them as assless Chaps, don't Aren't them? all Chaps technically assless? Because you put them on over your jeans? Well, yeah, but you don't just wear sh Chaps. 
I mean, what, I mean, on the internet, the, what around with the internet you've been creeping on lately? It hasn't been lately, but it's been often. No, it's been. Uh... No, I've been on a lot of Reddit. I guess that's the issue. Reddit hot page tainted. Get some weird stuff tainted. Uh, that mm, that's a bad word choice. Speaking of Stillwater, <laughs> whenever I was a sophomore, uh, we were on the front page of Reddit because our couch cushion in the dorm Ew. was gone. And there was a giant hole in the couch, and the RA just put a chair there. And so in the middle of the couch was like, seat cushion, seat cushion. In the very middle was a wooden chair. And it stayed like that for about two months. And we were on the hot page, front page of Reddit for a while. I think I remember that. Like, seeing that. Yeah, that was us. That's weird. That was K-Car laying on the couch. <laughs> of course. So I'm Reddit famous, I'm just saying. Reddit famous. I've already finished my beer. This is how today's gonna go. <laughs> I think at this point in the show, we need to move on to the game so we can give the people what they want. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. Which is more of us talking. It is more of us talking. Very, very sadly for them. Uh, on a side note, before I dive into the game, I do want to give a big shout out to our Patreon backers. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Jesse and Catherine. Thank you, guys. You're so good to us. I have made a small upgrade to the podcast with the Patreon funds from all of our Patreon backers. Technically, I have to wait till September to pull September's to finalize it. However, I'm using them now. Uh, there's a company called Cathedral Pipes out of California. They make microphones and things of that sort. I did not buy their microphones because they're ridiculously expensive, like $1,000, $1,500, $1,800, $2,200, like a lot. But... They have essentially a microphone booster or preamp, which is boosting the signal of our microphones into my board, so that way I can get some more volume into the computer from our mics, which is going to not only help me edit and help the edit sound better, but it also means I don't introduce extra noise from my mixing board, which happens because of how high I have to turn it up to get Haley's tiny voice to come across at a decent volume. So this is helping me tremendously already. As I record, I watch it. It's great. Thank you, Patreon backers, for allowing this to be possible. Hopefully, you can hear an improvement of the quality. Maybe not what we're saying, but audio-wise, <laughs> an improvement of the quality because of this. <laughs> quality of sound, not necessarily content. There you go. I like it. All right. Now that that's out of the way, let's get on to this game. So the game today is going to be Watergate, which was recently put out by Capstone Games. I am not a cook. Watergate was designed by Matthias Kramer, or Matthias Kramer, depending on who you ask about it. We are members of the silent majority. The graphic design was Adelier198, which I believe is Clemens Franz, because that is his tag on, like, Twitter and stuff. So I believe that is what he goes by as a graphic designer, or maybe that's, like, his department, like, his company's graphic design. I don't know. Agnew. Agnew. <laughs> Futurama. Development and rulebook is Victor Kobilka. Rulebook revision is Neil Crowley and Travis Hill. The biographies in the book is Andrew Ranks, and the historical outline in the book is Philip Millman. So, Watergate is a two-player game where one player takes on the role of the journalists out to get Nixon after Watergate, while the other player takes on the role of the Nixon administration trying to cover up whatever they can and survive long enough until the end of term. The game is a tuggle 
a tug-and-pull struggle, as we've defined <laughs> in this show before. In your definition book. In my definition book. It is a tuggle between the two players. The way the game functions is you each have your own deck of cards. There is a central board that is the research board, and it basically has seven informants around the outside with strings attached, connecting to the center a picture of Nixon. The It's like those big conspiracy theory boards. With like strings wrapped around thumbtacks and stuff. Like whenever Charlie was doing bird law, what he was pointing to. It was in the basement in the post office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have that research board. The goal of the journalist side is to take two of the seven informants around the board and connect them using evidence tokens to Nixon in the center of the board. The Nixon administration's goal is to delay the game long enough that either you run out of momentum tokens or the Nixon player gains five momentum tokens. The way evidence tokens, momentum tokens, and the initiative can be gained is there's a tug-of-war track on the board. Zero in the center, one to five toward the Nixon player, and one to five toward the journalist player. Just like Twilight Struggle. The way, kind of like how Twilight Struggle's score track is. Like their tuggle is. Yes. You're going to play cards. Initiative player draws one more. You will have a hand of cards, play a card down, use it for the value to either move a certain color of research token or initiative or a momentum marker. Or you can use its event, which a lot of times puts the card out of the game. And it's a real serious tug and pull because if I play a card that says, I'm going to move something three, I'm going to move this blue evidence token three to my side. Haley can then go, okay, if he gets that blue token, that's going to put him too close to winning. So I'm going to play this one and move it three back to my side, which puts it at the zero in the center. So it's a direct pull back and forth where if I move something toward me, that's directly moving away from Haley and vice versa. So it really is just this struggle of, I want to pull stuff to my side, but I can't pull one thing all the way or I'm going to miss out on other things, but I don't want to go so lightly that they can pull what I really need and it's good. Both times that we've played, the game has been close. The very first time we played, I think I was one turn away from winning whenever you uncovered one of my people who had aligned with me and got them to align with you. Yep. And then this time, I had one more piece I needed on the momentum track when you made a connection between two of my conspirators and the were able to win. The, the informants. So I've played Nixon each time, and Delton has played the investigators. I really want to win as Nixon, so I told him that I don't want to switch sides until I win as Nixon. I have to figure this out. I played as Nixon against Brian, and I found Nixon to be more difficult because Nixon's all about rushing to the end, but at the same time, like, both both sides of this game, you want to rush to try to finish it as com- quickly and completely as possible. However, if you rush your goal, you are directly ignoring your opponents. And I think that's what makes this game great, is if I ignore the momentum marker, which Haley needs to win, and I just push out of evidence tokens, I can try to win that way. However, Haley's probably going to beat me there. But if I focus only on Haley's goal, I'm never going to get anywhere, which is another way that Haley can win the game, is Nixon. I see it as Nixon kind of releasing a little bit of information at a time in order to try and control the story. Yeah. Um, because if he just works on covering things up, I mean, things are going to come out. But if he lets out information himself and controls the narrative, then he has more power over it. 
Whereas the journalists, they're trying to get more information out, but they're also trying to befriend members of the Nixon's administration, the cabinet, or even just cronies in order to get that information. So you have to pay attention to what the other one's doing or else you are going to lose. Yeah, you really do. You have to be watching what they're doing, try to predict it and things like that. And it just it adds this nice tension to the game. One thing I like about it, people are go already, and I compare it this way too, because the way the cards work, you use the value or you use the event. That's very Twilight Struggle, 1960 Making of the President, both of those. It's very much along the lines of the way those games work. This one is more forgiving, and I like that. This doesn't feel as punishing. It also feels like even if you used all the events and got rid of all those really strong events, you are not just going to be done. I don't know. There's something about it that doesn't feel as frustrating when you do badly or when you lose or, you know, when somebody blocks the event on a card you just used. So now your card's out of the game. Because you know you're doing work for America. Is that what it is? Yes. (laughs) But it's really interesting. So these evidence tokens that go on the track, that go back and forth on the research track that you're fighting over, if the journalist player wins it, they place them face up. There are three colors, blue, green, yellow. You place it face up in a corresponding spot. Some are split in the middle, can be on either color. And that will help you make a track connecting your informant to Nixon. However, if the Nixon side wins one of these research tokens, they flip it over where it's blacked out, and then it takes a spot on the research board so it actually can be something in the way of making those connections. So it's like Nixon is hiding this evidence. Or killed a man. Or we we keep saying when the informants go to Nixon's side that when they're blacked out that he's killed them even though they can still come back. Ghost conspirators. Ghost conspirators. Should we talk about what Watergate is? Uh, if you would like to, I will say the rulebook has a, a really great overview of Watergate as well as explanation of what every card is a picture of and stuff, as well as recommendations for uh, further reading on the subject. Which is fantastic. It's really great. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Nixon was kind of a shady dude. Well, I mean, Watergate, it's only talked about Watergate, Deflategate, Gamergate. Everything has a gate now because of Watergate. So It's just associated with scandal. It really is. So I'm probably going to butcher this because it's been like two years since I've read a book on Nixon, so bear with me. But basically, the Nixon administration was running again in 19, was it 1972? Was the second election? Sure. I think it was 1972 was the second time running. No. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, they had wiretapped the Democratic National Convention, which was based out of the Watergate office complex. And people caught wind of it. And so Nixon or his cronies authorized this bumbled burglary of the tapes that went awry and basically got everything uncovered. Okay. I never knew it was the DNC. I was really always confused, like, what do they do? It was a hotel? I don't care. Why? (laughs) But that's just my ignorance in the matter. That's cool, though. Yeah. But this game... Internet's uh, probably going to correct me on something, but, you know. Probably. It's fine. But this game's really good about using those historical sources for, like, names of cards, and flavor text on the cards is good. The photos are real photos in the way a lot of these, uh, you know, super history games are. And it's just neat, because even if you don't know a lot about Watergate, you learn it as you play a Mm -hmm. little bit. Like, maybe not a lot, but you learn bits and pieces. Uh, But the game's just really good. Like, it feels tight. The game took us 30 minutes. I think it's only taken us 50, our longest play. And that was our learning play. Me and Brian took about 40. And then me and you took about 30. And I think 30's probably going to be where it balances out unless someone wins early. 
Right. Because that was us going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, because we've got the game down enough now that we're quick at it. Right. And I almost won. And you almost won. This close. But it's just a really neat idea. The back and forth pull is actually very fun. Um, You know, in something like Twilight Struggle, kind of comparing it again, where you're placing tokens down, and if someone wants to place tokens on that place, they're actually removing your influence to add theirs. That's really neat, but that's like on a minor scale. That's a big part of Watergate is pulling things to your side, not letting your opponent pull things to their side. Trying to maintain your lead is really difficult in the game. It always feels like this turn was bad for me. This turn was good for me. This turn was bad for me. And it feels like that's how the turns go. They're either really good or really bad. They rarely ever balance out where you both feel like you had a decent turn. It's a political knife fight in cardboard form. In cardboard form with little tokens that are cute. Little tokens. And little Richard Milhouse Nixon who's cute. Look at him. You know me. I'm a sucker for the historical games. Anytime I can get some flavor text on a card that is actually historical facts or lead some explanation to the theme, I love it. And this game is full of it. That's why I love Twilight Struggle. I haven't even read all the cards in Twilight Struggle. There are so many, and we don't play it enough to someone. But the, this game is the same way. Uh, every single card, if there's a person on it, explains who they are in relation. And I love that it has a quote from them either pulled from the tapes that were confiscated or a quote from them on trial during the investigation. Oh, that's really cool. I don't pay too much attention to it. The only one that I've really had stuck with me was the one that says, uh, the syst- I think it's called The System Worked, and it's one of the journalists that says, like, The System Worked, this is what journalism is about. Yeah. And so that was really interesting because I feel like journalism now is very different than journalism then. It's probably not, but it feels like it because we only see the BS journalism. Right. The investigative stuff isn't as funded. I guess that's it. And so it was really neat to read that and be like, oh, yeah, this was a time when like the media truly did their work. And it was before 24 hour media when things had to be sensationalized in order to garner attention. Yeah, that's true. Think about Anchorman, too, whenever Veronica Corningstone is interviewing, uh, was it the president of Afghanistan? Maybe. And then Ron Burgundy comes over with a car chase and is like, Oh, let's follow this car. Yeah. That's exactly what media has come to. That's what it is now. Bad day. And I contribute to it at the Lost Ogle. Woo! But the game's been very fun. We really like it. Uh, The strategies are kind of hard to come across. Like, you know a strategy of, I want to focus this really hard early and then balance out. But it's harder than that. Like, I've been struggling with figuring out what's the best way to approach it because. You can have a big strategy, but it's really going to be just based on what your opponent does. There's a lot of that tactical play. I went the complete opposite strategy this time. Like, I played my cards. Because there's multiple ways you can play the card. I played the cards the exact opposite this time as last time. And I had similar results. I mean, I still lost, but, I mean, it was a really close game still. But you can do multiple strategies. You can play multiple different ways. Yeah, but I guess the one thing there is, even with multiple different ways or different strategies in the game, there's still only one way that the journalists win. and two ways that Nixon wins. So even within those strategies, it's more of Nixon has to win by either having the most momentum, by filling up to five, which momentum is awarded at the end of every turn, if momentum moves. And then if not, then it's when there's no more momentum to refill the track, which means you, the journalist has five and Nixon has four, right? Um, And it would be awarded to anyone. That's when Nixon could win. Now, the the strategy doesn't come on how to approach that. It's how strong do I push for momentum? How far do I let them get on the track? 
when do I take out informants? When do I let them take informants? When do I block things? Like every other question is within that strategy. There are many roads to roam. Uh, yeah, that's essentially it. And so it makes for a really fun game, though. I've had a lot of fun with it. I've played it with Haley and Brian. Um, I'm Haley. That's Haley. I'm Delton. Hi. <laughs> it's been fun. I like it a lot. It's also only like 35 bucks, which is pretty good. It's a smaller box game. Plus, it's Nixon. I resign as the president of the United States of America. I really recommend it. It's a fun little two-player game. It's lighter and easier than what it looks, and you're going to learn something. Yep, I think that kind of sums it up, wraps it up nicely. So definitely check out Watergate from Capstone Games. Uh, If you like that kind of two-player game, it's very good. And we've talked a little bit about the theme of this game and how it does teach you things and has that historical factor to it. So that's something we kind of wanted to talk about in the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. But first, more beer. Since Delton finished his within the first, like, six minutes of the podcast, probably about time to crack (laughs) open the other one. So the second beer today is another beer from 903 Brewers down in Texas. This is another one from Jesse and Catherine, so thank you all. Thank you all. This is their Mertzen Oktoberfest. It says Prost, which is like cheers. Yeah. Essentially a German way of saying cheers. Our medium-bodied Mertzen Oktoberfest is a malt-forward tasty treat. Light amber in color, the 903 Oktoberfest finishes dry and clean. This seasonal lager is rich, roasty, and quite delectable. Prost. Pairs with bratwurst, pretzels, and prosting your bros. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, You make fun of my puns. This was a pun on the bottle. I didn't make fun of it. Or I didn't come up with it. On the can. This is a can. I just said bottle, and I slurred that. Maybe I don't need another beer. I do to put up with this bullshit. Beer me. Mmm, smells really good. Smells good. Ooh, that does have a, not a lot of malt forward, but it's not like a really, really heavy malt. It's more crisp than I thought. It has a caramel aftertaste. It smells like pumpkin. A nice take, caramely ap- afterbirth. Take a big whiff. A big whiff. A whiff. Is that pumpkin? To me, Pum- it smells like a pumpkin. It smells like spice to me. Maybe there's pumpkin spice. Is this white girl beer? It might be white girl beer. No, it's it's too heavy to be white girl beer. Yeah. As a white girl, I can vouch for that. So there's no alcohol content on that can. Plus, this wouldn't taste very good with the Jolly Rancher inside. <laughs> no, it's not a Zima. Sorry. Therefore, not white girl beer. I forgot the alcohol content on the first beer as well. Uh, but I can't read the can in this lighting. Again, look through the glass. Well, the, no, that's not that I, the size, it's the reflection. 6.2 alcohol by volume on the first beer, and the second one is unknown, which means I'm hoping it's high. It's probably not. Well, you remember the time we had the dogfish head on yep. our engagement trip, and it said, we don't really know. And then we looked it up, it was like 15 to 20% alcohol per bottle, and I drank one bottle and I fell asleep. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> so we don't want you falling asleep on the show. Nope. All right, so the topic today, we wanted to discuss politics 
in board games and not politics in terms of the politics of today that people talk about and bring into board games. I'm talking about political theming in board games. Maybe that's how I should phrase it on the title. But our tagline could be politics and board games because that's clickbait worthy. No, I'm not going to be yes, that guy. Because this is the 24 hour news era. Therefore, we have to make our product clickbaity so they'll open up. And then we're actually talking about politics used as a theme in board gaming. So politics as a theme in board games. I'm a branding expert. We have played Watergate, as we just discussed. We've talked about Twilight Struggle, 1960 Making of the President, 13 Days Cuban Missile Crisis, Memoir 44. You can consider war games. I feel like we need to describe each of those a little bit. You just kind of like ran through just them. Just ran through them. So Watergate, we talked about. Twilight Struggle is U.S. versus USSR Cold War era. Oh, it's so great. It's my favorite game of all time. You go through like the 50s through the mid-60s, mid-60s through the mid-70s and mid-70s through the early 90s with the fall. And it is so good. It is one of the best board games in the entire land and sea. Then you have 1960 Making of the President, where somebody plays Nixon and somebody plays Kennedy, trying play... to be the, become the president. Why do we have so many Nixon games? He's a popular villain. <laughs> we also have 13 Days Cuban Missile Crisis. It's the U.S. versus Cuba. Is that right? How, how so, would you describe that? I know it's not actually no. versus Cuba, but... So the Russians had missiles on Cuba, and the United States had put missiles in Turkey, which is right by Russia. And so it was basically playing a game of chicken to see who was going to strike first. Okay. And assure mutually assured destruction. All right, so that's that one. Then we have like Memoir 44, which is a World War II game. Now, me and Haley talked about this before the show, but war games, you can kind of view as a political game because... Wars in almost all cases stem from politics, right? It's some yes. country trying to show control over another, which that's political, you know? So we've lumped that in, and I'm sure that you could make an argument that that doesn't fit, and I understand that, but we're going to include it because we think it fits, and that's going to be a part of our discussion. And this is our podcast, damn it. Yeah, stay out of it. And uh, <laughs> something we've talked about, the reason I think political games do so well a lot of political games are one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that that's something they have going for them. I mean, you could look at any war game and consider it political, but I guess it depends on the theming of actual politics in it. Think about chess. Chess is a war game. You have the bishops aligned with the king. You have the pawns aligned with the king, which are like the know, citizens or whatever under the king. Chess is a political game. It's two warring kingdoms. I guess that's true, but it leaves out the flavor of true politics and just has these people fighting. But it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I realize we also have Labyrinth, 2001, War on Terror. I am so ready to play that one. One of you plays... One of these days. Afghanistan. The other one plays the United States. From what I understand, it shows Afghanistan as the Taliban. And so I'm like, this is going to be a very well, interesting... I don't think it's... that. I don't think you're playing Afghanistan, but I think you are playing... Uh, those terrorist organizations within, within the Middle East. Okay. That yes. makes me feel better because I was like, Afghanistan. <laughs> no, it's it's not just I'm against like, the country. <laughs> it's, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of not accurate. Okay. No, that makes the, me feel better. The, the thing about that is it's a GMT game. And GMT, aside from 
the most recent uh, like campaign for North Africa that they canceled, they're usually very good about how they approach that. That's good. Um, usually. Now, I could be wrong. I don't know everything. They have a huge catalog of war games. But generally, they're good at that. But there's something about two players playing against each other. And I think part of what makes these politicked theme, politicked, political-themed games work so well is the fact that it's something we have an inkling of knowledge about, right? Yeah. When you play Watergate, even if you don't know the details, as I didn't, of Watergate, you know that Nixon was impeached or was soon to be impeached before he resigned, and it was because of Watergate. So immediately you have some sort of connection of, I heard about this, or I learned about this in school, something like that. With Twilight Struggle, it's U.S., USSR, in the Cold War. You have an idea. Forgot about Red Scare. And Red Scare. McCarthyism. Now that is a party game. But it's a political commie party game. It is. It's trying to get rid of the socialists that you may not know are socialists or getting rid of the patriots that you may not know are patriots. So those, the, the po- political factor of these games, I think part of it is attaching to that theme. And like I was saying before the show, Memoir 44. There's a correction before the internet gets you. Yeah. It's Soviets, not socialists. Sorry. The communists. Yeah. I know. I know that's the next, that's the extremist step of socialism is communism, which were the Soviets were. Commies. You know, my bad. There's a lot of words being thrown around in my brain and out of my brain, so it's fine. Memoir 44 is World War II, and that's one of those games that I don't know the history of World War II very well. I know we fought it. I know who we fought it against, kind of, and, you know, the Germans were the bad guys. That's essentially what you need to know as a uh, dumb American kid. And playing (laughs) the beach, playing the beach landing map, which is like the first scenario, my grandpa no was not at D Day. However, he went through beach landings several, like sixteen in World War Two. In World War Two, and Memoir Forty Fours. It was seventeen. I thought it was sixteen. Seventeen. It was a lot of beach landings for a person to survive, and doing that and reading about it and looking at the map, like it's just kind of neat having a connection to that, even if it's very little. It's better than. I'm playing the trolls, you're playing the dragons, let's fight. Which is fun, I enjoy those games too, but there's something about that political aspect. So for me, it tickles my nerddom because I love history so much, and so whenever I see a card that is an actual historical event that plays into the history that I love to learn about, it's, it's like I nerd out. It's like if you were to see someone from your favorite fandom in public, or like there's this random fandom reference in a TV show you're watching. You're like, ee, giddy, I get that. That's how I feel when I play these. I'm like, oh, Watergate. Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. <gasps> World War II. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. So every time I see a connection there, I get giddy. And so that's what draws me to them. And that makes sense because you're a big history buff nerd. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing is it's something you can attach to. And I, I really do think that's a huge factor here. Now, you can say that there are historical games that you don't know anything about. So yeah. one of the games GMT is making, I've been on their P500 system, which for those of you who don't know, GMT, uh, I don't know what it stands for, uh, makes a lot of war games and stuff. Twilight Struggle, namely being their biggest uh, dominant species, probably my favorite game, is also up there. It stands for Great Mother F in Time. Uh, that's a pretty good acronym there, but I don't think that's right. It is correct. But they have a game, they have a P500 system. It's sort of like Kickstarter where they have an idea and then they want people to back it. You say you're going to back it. And once they get 500 names, they let it go usually a little bit longer to six or seven. Once they get enough people saying they want it, they'll send an email saying, hey, we're going to charge. And then like a week later, they charge everybody. 
they put the game in printing and then they ship it all out to everybody. So it's like a weird Kickstarter, but they do it when it breaks 500 copies. And that's a way for them to judge the need. So I am signed up for a P500 for The Hunt for Blackbeard, which is a game where the colonists in the early Americas are trying to hunt down and stop Blackbeard and his pirate crew from going around and, you know, hurting the colonies and robbing and stuff. Now, I did not realize Blackbeard was like a legit pirate in the colonial times. Yeah. And this game, being GMT, has legit history involved. So it's one of those games. I didn't know this was a real thing, but now I'm super interested in it. And it's a two-player game. One person's a colonist, one person's Blackbeard and the pirates. And I'm so stoked for this to hopefully one day hit enough people that they print it because it looks awesome. But there are some obscure themes or different historical times or political elements you haven't heard of. And some of those are really intriguing. And so it's like, I want to learn while I play. Right. Like at these games, I don't know all of the history behind it. I might be a history nerd, but I don't know it. So part of me wanting to get these games, I want to learn more. And I feel like I get a better understanding of it too as we play. You really do. Uh, one more that I'll talk about before we move into the question so we can wrap this up for you listeners. Uh, Pax Pamir. So we've played Pax Pamir two times now? Yes. I think just two times now. Fantastic game. It is a great game. Uh, we're not decided if we want to talk about it as an actual review on the podcast yet, which is why we haven't, but uh, we'll figure that out later. One of the things I like that it does, and this is political games in general, is they have to approach the subject in a, in a nice, not a nice way. They need to approach the subject in a more correct way to make sure that it's not super swayed or you know, got any sort form of bias involved or showing somebody in a negative light. Whitewashing. Or whitewashing. Pax Pamir does such a great job with it, uh, which is one thing I like, where the, I guess, attempted colonizers of Russia and Britain are just shown and used as tools for the local people of Afghanistan to use to influence the society politically. Like, that's such a great take mm -hmm. on politics and games. You know, that's a fantastic way to view it because that's probably a better way to view it than, hey, we're England, we want to take it, let's make it England versus the people of Afghanistan. Right. You know, and so I think political games, as long as they're done correctly or done well, can just feel awesome. And then just the fact, like I said, it's one player versus another. It's usually a tug of war between the two people. A tuggle. It's a tuggle, a tug of war and a struggle. And I just think that it's a great theming potential it has great theming potential if it was utilized and like watergate utilized correctly utilized well and include history and you know good quotes and flavor text and extended readings and stuff like that but i think that's gonna wrap up the topic i don't know what else i can say about political games aside from i like them they're fun i like them and they're fun but i wonder if there's a game that could be on the shelf that's politically themed that we haven't found yet, or maybe we should come up with it. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. And that was probably the worst transition I've came up with so far. <laughs> Your segue has square wheels. My segue has, it's got one square wheel and one triangular wheel. <laughs> it was like, you can like go up curbs. I could. I guess that's good. True. I could go upstairs. It just would be very <laughs> just uncomfortable. Sideways, go upstairs. A very sideways stair crawl. There you go. Hey, it works out. 
The question for this episode is, what political moment in history would you want a board game based off of? It could be one you don't know a lot about. It could be one you know a lot about. Go ahead. So something I think would be cool, it sounds terrible, but the biological warfare uh, experiments that happened in the USSR, and I'm certain United States, in the late 70s, early 80s. So basically, Russia was really close to making things like, uh, I want to say ricin was one, making that airborne. So basically attaching it to pollen to where if it was let off into the air, it could travel for miles and miles and miles and infect people. And so, I mean, they ran experiments on their own people, which is not really cool. They're able to like put it in the air, but not necessarily make it airborne, if that makes sense. It does. They couldn't find a way to make it travel. It's like if you throw a bunch of dirt in the air, yeah, it's kind of in the air. You throw like dusty dust in the air, but it's not necessarily airborne. Yeah. And so I think a fun board game would be uh, one of you is playing the United States, trying to infiltrate what Russia is doing and figure out what kind of science they are getting into, while Russia is trying to create that biological warfare. And Russia has to, or sorry, the USSR, I guess we, during that time, has to collect uh, the right combination of cards to make it deadly, to make it undetectable, to make it uh, poisonous or infectious, depending on the card combination. So, like, uh, you, could have, you could have, like, a choice between 12 different goals as USSR. And you get one, and you have to collect the cards to make that recipe for that biological agent before the United States figures out which one you're making. That could be really cool. I, I don't know I how you would design it. Yeah. <laughs> I just designed it. Contact me, GMT. I am at SquirrelyGeek, S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. And we can make this happen. So I think, and this is just me, I wrote a paper in college, and it was you know poorly written because I'm a bad writer, but I wrote a paper on the Battle of Marathon. So for those of you who don't know, uh, the Battle of Marathon was, I believe, after or before Thermopylae, which is the 300 story at the Hot Gates. Uh, I think it was before. I want to say before, but I could be wrong. My timelines are all screwed. But the Battle of Marathon is when the Persians came to invade Greece uh, the mainland of Greece or the Peloponnese, and they landed in the bay, Marathon Bay. Uh, the Athenians, people from Athens, Greece, were defending basically the Persians there. They were defending them and stopping them from traveling outside of the bay of Marathon. Uh, they tried to get the Spartans to help. The Spartans did not help. Uh, the story of how a marathon was ran, 26.2 miles, comes from that because. The Athenians sent a runner named Phidippides, which is my favorite name, to the Spartans. The Spartans said no. He came back and countered Pan, which was a satyr. Some mythological stuff happens. Goes back to the Athenians. They said, go back to Greece and tell them. Tell them we need more backup. And he runs 26.2 miles from Marathon Bay to Athens, Greece. And he dies. And there is a grotto on the side of the Acropolis that is Pan's grotto. From that story. Anyway, I just love the name Phidippides. I've never forgotten it. And uh, they kept the Persians on that beach. The Persians outnumbered them by tremendous numbers. I mean, it's something like, I don't remember what was it, like 
30,000 Persians to like 5,000 Athenians or something. My history knowledge starts at 1650. That's probably way, way off on numbers. But anyway, it was a staggeringly big difference. And somehow the Athenians only lost like 160 people and the Persians lost thousands because it was a battle of attrition. The Persians, the Athenians had the high ground. They cut off their supply lines. If you've got tens of thousands of Persians on a beach, they have to go to the bathroom somewhere. That's going to start building up over days and days and days. They don't have access to clean water and food. And it was a, it was a battle of attrition. And then there was actual battle. And then that's when, that's when a general, I can't think of his name and it's making me very angry, uh, came up with the plan of, uh, you know, weaker in the center in the line as you march forward. And then they pincer attack them and eliminate. And, uh, yeah, it was really good. It's one of my favorite things of history because it's one of those moments of, uh, if the Persians would have won and taken out Greece, how would have history changed? How do you think you would lay that as a theme on a board game? No clue. I think it would be somebody playing Athenians, someone playing the Persians, and the Athenians have to continue winning the Battle of Attrition while the Persians try to break free. Ah. Uh, I don't know how you could play it, but I think that would be cool. It's one of my favorite historical battles and political moments because when the Persians lost, they said, all right, we're going to take them by land. And that's, I believe, when they came through the hot gates, but then there's the Battle of Salamis and just a bunch of other stuff. Um, Miltiades. That's the name of the general, Miltiades. Their generals, like a kid who gets beat up in middle school. Their generals rotated like either every day or every two days or something, and they waited until it was his turn, supposedly, to enact this battle plan he came up with. Kind of an interesting thing. Anyway, I think that would be really cool. If it's not that, then the story of 300 as a board game, but the actual factual story to where the 300 Spartans also had like six or 700 Athenians backing them up and some other local people. And shirts. <laughs> and they had real accurate clothing. They weren't just in weird kink clothing that you have to get at a specialty store. This is Sparta. Yep, that's what I think. I think that wraps up the episode. I rambled on for too long. It's okay. Thank you again for listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. If you want to find us on social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. If you have a question you would like us to answer on the show, a topic to cover, or a game you want us to look at, you can send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. If you want to find me or Haley personally, my tag on all social media is at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. Haley's is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. Contact me, GMT Games. We'll talk about this biological warfare game. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you again to our Patreon backers, and hopefully all of you wonderful listeners notice a slight improvement, if an improvement at all. Hopefully there is some from this new equipment that helps me edit. We're going to listen to the audio. It's just going to be... Oh, well, see, I tested it before. I tested both of them to make sure that everything was good. So I think we're all right. It's all dial-up tones. The entire podcast of <laughs> dial-up tones. I would be furious, but it should be okay. It should be okay. We'll have to see when I edit. So until next time... Sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.